everybody, and welcome to the Poetry Space episode 53. Today we're going to be looking at how to submit. In a previous episode, we looked at the side of submissions that turned out to be more of an editor side. Uh, and so we're going to be looking at more of the poet side in this particular space. So how are you doing today, Timothy Green? Well, I'm doing great, Kitty Dozier. <laughs> Thank you for saying my be, full name. <laughs> glad to be sitting right next to you. We can share our coffees now, and it's no problem. And we can. share in a microphone, too. We can, and we're hoping for really increased audio over the X space edition that we were doing before. The audio was kind of driving me crazy, so hopefully it's driving everyone less crazy right now. Yeah, hopefully. And so is that the only reason we switched off of off of Twitter? It is not the only reason. You know what? We had a lot of guests that were not on Twitter slash X and couldn't deal with it. The technical aspects of it were a little bit challenging over the new format, too. So there were a lot of people that we asked that couldn't do it because of that format. And so we thought in this format, they'll be more able to join. And we still are soliciting questions before the space because I do want to keep it um, with the community feel, of course, very much. Yeah, I mean, the interactive roundtable thing is what I love about doing the poetry space, because I get mm -hmm. to learn a whole bunch of stuff in the process of doing it that I wouldn't have thought of otherwise, so it's really fun for me. Yeah, well, I definitely learn a ton. It's basically just, I do this so I can learn and appreciate it. <laughs> People don't realize that yet, but that's what we're doing. Uh, so I picked your opening poem for today. Yeah, you're forcing me to read this. Hopefully it's good. <laughs> this is uh, Difference by Mark Doty. Difference. The jellyfish flowed in the bay shallows like schools of clouds a dozen identical is it right to call them creatures these elaborate sacks of nothing all they seem is shape and shifting and though a whole troop of undulant cousins go back about their business within a single wave span every one does something unlike this one a balloon open on both ends but swollen to its full expanse this one a breathing heart this a pulsing flower this one a rolled condom or a plastic purse swallowing itself that one a tiffany shade this one a troubled parasol this submarine opera's all subterfuge and disguise its plot a fabulous tangle of hiding and recognition nothing but trope Nothing but something forming itself into figures, then refiguring, sheer ectoplasm recognizable only as the stuff of metaphor. What can words do but link what we know to what we don't, and so form a shape which shrinks or swells, configures or collapses, blooms, even as it is described into some unlikely marine chiffon, a gown for Isadora? Nothing but style. What binds one shape to another also sets them apart. But what's lovelier than the shape-shifting transparency of like and as, clear, undulant words? We look at alien grace, unfettered by any determined form. We say balloon, flower, heart, condom, opera, lampshade, parasol, ballet. Hear how the mouth, so full of longing for the world, changes its shape. Yeah, so once again, that was a Difference by Mark Doty, a poem that Katie picked. And so why did you pick that poem, Katie? I was trying to think, as we were reading, I was trying to figure out what, what that has to do with submitting. Well, to me, I mean, it's an Ars Poetica, but it also, to me, speaks of the weird shape of our individual poems and then trying to find a home for these odd beings that... that are our poetry and so that's what i was thinking about and how you know you want a different home for a lampshade than a jellyfish perhaps too so that's what i was thinking about in terms of how to submit 
Well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it is, you know, you have to submit poems targeted to places that might enjoy them or else you're yeah. wasting your time in a way. Also, I just like jellyfish references. So there was <laughs> <Yeah>. that too. <laughs> that was part of it. So, Tim, what are your current thoughts on, you know, submitting from the poet's perspective? I don't really have a whole bunch. <laughs> I think I've made, I think I've sent about five or six submissions in the last 15 years, maybe. Mostly because I tell Mostly. you to. A couple of times you tell me to, mm-hmm. and they're always to like the New Yorker or the Sun, and I just get rejected. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, getting rejected from the New Yorker is impressive. My I, submission's I, been out for over two years, so wow. that'll be a celebration well, when that I is, that is impressive. hear from them. But. <laughs> I mean, for me, I definitely submit a bit more. Sometimes I think that I'm too picky. I also think one of my problems is that uh, as an editor, I love receiving personal cover notes that really, you know, form a connection perhaps with a poet. And I spend too long on my cover letters, so that's kind of a problem for me. I think most of the places I'm sending them to don't even read them because, you know, they're very high-volume places. And so I end up spending 20 minutes that probably would have been better spent editing or writing part of a new poem. So I have that issue, but I, I do like submitting, and that's also, of course, how I first met you, as I submitted poems, so I can't really argue with that also. That is true. Lots of good things come from submissions, so... They do, besides just the poem. I mean, also, too, I mean, I use cover letters as a way for the two people that read them to introduce them to the concept of of NFT poetry, too, uh, which also I did for you. So that worked, too, (laughs) given all my tricks in the first two minutes of this space. But I'm really excited for everybody that's joining us today. So these spaces at the table, as I'm calling it are going to be, first we have Bethany Jarmel. She's a widely published poet. She teaches successful workshops literally on how to submit, which makes her the perfect guest. So we're really happy that she's able to join us today. We have Brian O'Sullivan, who's a professor of English at St. Mary's College of Maryland. He's also a reader for Chestnut Review. And we have Joe Barca, probably the oldest member of the Poetry Space family besides the two of us. He's maybe the most positive poet in poetry. Uh, He's the author of Unraveling Sunlight, and he's a peer reviewer for Whale Road Review. We have Tom Barlow, who kindly was the one who suggested that we cover this side of submitting from looking at episode 47 of the Poetry Space, where he told us we should look more at the poet side. And he's very interesting because he writes across many different genres, you know, everything from poetry to Forbes he's written for. And then last but not least, we have Janine Hall-Gailey. She's the author of many books of poetry, most recently Flare Corona. She was featured on episode number 166 of the Rattlecast, which I love that episode. And she's also the author of PR for Poets, which makes her a perfect fit, I would say, for today's space. So Janine, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you guys? We're great. It's fun to be sitting by each other instead of in a separate room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we I know, that is not. Rooms, yes. Yeah, we did. <laughs> so, so Janine, maybe um, you can help me out because I, do, you know, I don't submit much or submit many poems. Uh, what? Why should I? Like, why is uh, submitting poems something that we should do? I think they are maybe yeah. expert in that category. <laughs> That's a good question. I, I'm, I am a kind of a prolific, not as prolific as some, but, you know, I, I try to keep out about 30 or 40 submissions at a time. I have about 150 poems in circulation all the time. One of the reasons is we're trying to build an audience, right? So it's not just that we want to get published at a certain magazine or we want to get paid for our poetry, which would be great but also that we're trying to connect with a certain audience. So I have journals that I like that don't pay that I will send to over and over again because I feel like they're really great journals for the kind of person that's going to like my kind of work. So it's really about connecting with a a poetry community. Uh, And one of the things that um, I I put down some notes and one of them was uh, have a submission party with friends. 
because I feel like submitting is something that makes us feel so lonely and so rejected and so alone in our struggles as writers um, that when you do it together, uh, there's a lot more energy. People have more ideas. I, I do a regular thing. We take a whole month. It's a bunch of friends and I get together an email and we submit to a bunch of places. We say, oh, we want to sit to, to 10 places this month. We hold each other accountable. We come up with ideas. We mention who's open for submissions. We say if we get rejections or acceptances really fast. I think that also uh, helps motivate me. Um, so uh, community, a lot of it is community based. Wow, that is wonderful. I already love the first idea. <laughs> I mean, that is just so great to have a party amongst friends and, you know, go ahead and do that. How long have you been doing that in order to submit as a group and encourage each other? I've been doing different versions. And I used to do one day parties where we get together with friends in person and stuff envelopes. That was like 20 years ago. So I have been doing this for a while um, because I have, found, I have found for me that it really does help me. And I, I, I'm going to sneak in some advice from a friend of mine, Kelly Russell Egadon who wrote a blog post some years ago called Submit Like a Man, which is a funny uh, thing, but she was an editor and she was noticing like, women don't submit as often. They don't submit as much. When they're asked to submit again, they wait longer. So she had this whole post about, you know, women trying to be likable or trying to uh, not offend people. They often don't submit their work enough. Yeah, that's one thing. I don't so, know if you've mentioned on the space before, but I did looking up, um, you know, gender uh yeah. submissions and i found a really interesting stat kind of it yeah. was years ago but i'm sure it still applies that um you know women submit uh you know more women you know if you look at rattle you know on facebook follows or whatever it's like 60 percent to 40 percent female to male yeah. um, but then um when you look at the um, actual submissions it's like 50 50 and that's because yeah. um the average you know man would submit like four or five times mm -hmm. uh, just on average and, and right. for women it would be like two yeah. And so that, a, that makes a big difference. Yeah, that's exactly. So that is, is part of the reason why I've been such an, uh, for me, it just is part of my a habit and, and part of being a writer is submitting your work, right? Getting it out to an audience. Even if you get rejected, that's telling you something, I think. Um, and sometimes you'll get a personalized rejection note and make a connection with an editor, right? So it, it's worth it to do it. That's what I'm saying. And then I'll give you some more advice that I got. A millennial friend of mine said, submit like a millennial. That's what she said. She sends out her packets 10 at a time, no personalization, same packet. Yeah. Now, I don't do that. Uh, I always, I'm like you, Katie. I always personalize my cover letters. Probably takes me too much time. <laughs> I change out poems depending on, you know, what place I'm sending it to. So, you know, that's, for me, that doesn't work. But but I know people who really have volume and sometimes submitting is a is a numbers game, right? Have you, um, do you have any idea if that if that works? You know, does that have you ever like done statistics? I mean, yeah, I, I mean, know it, you're sciencey, so maybe yeah, I, I am sciencey. Like, have you? I, you know, it'd be so I, easy to do. You know, sort of a, a just a comparison with uh, I, you know A/B testing I, it. You know, my guess is that personalizing the poems themselves, maybe not the cover letter, but maybe the poems themselves, probably works better because you have an idea of what the journal likes. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say personalized, but if you really are in a pinch, you, you know, you have a hundred kids or you're working three jobs. I mean, maybe that's a more efficient way to go about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, my experience, you know, reading so many submissions as an editor is I think having the personal cover letter really helps because it can be like a tiebreaker, even though we read anonymized submissions mostly, sometimes, I mean, a lot of times there are submissions you're sort of on the fence about. And then, um, and then we'll look it up and see who the person is because, you know, we're sort of on the fence and see if it's somebody we never published before, which is like bonus points for that. And if there's a really nice contributor note, 
that says, you know, something interesting for the back of the book because we have those unique ones, which is sort of like a cover letter. That can be the thing, and it often is the thing that pushes the poem over the top. But then at the same time, um, I think the targeting seems like it doesn't really work because I think it's really hard to know what a, a journal is looking for, especially like just for example, I always want more like haiku and formal poetry. But if you look through Rattle, there's not much haiku or formal poetry. And so people would think, oh, they like free verse narrative poems where I'm really because, searching for yeah. more, you know. And so, <laughs> yeah, if, if you read yeah. Rattle, that's not what you're seeing, right? You don't see a ton of haiku or formal poetry. Exactly. And I'm always wishing for more in the submissions. Mm-hmm. And, and if right. you, you know, there's a self-selection bias that happens too. It happens there so is. much with the Rattle Poetry Prize because we have these, uh, you know, the first couple winners were like these two-page narrative poems. And everybody just thought that that's what we wanted. And so the if you yeah. look, compare that, the contest submissions, to regular submissions, it's like everybody sends their longest narrative poem. <laughs> and so then the winners, you know, be, happen to be, you know, that because that's what the submissions mm-hmm. are weighted towards. So mm-hmm. the winners are weighted toward that. And it becomes this feedback loop that I've been trying to resist for so long. Mm-hmm. And so I think you, that's the one thing uh, I worry about targeting, though, is that mistargeting yeah. could be a bigger problem than, than being random almost. That's a good point. There's- there's a funny story, too, about a famous poet told me that once he and his friends were all trying to get into the New Yorker, and they all decided to try to get into New Yorker by using the word gazebo in the poem, and a bunch of them got in, because <laughs> the New Yorker has the word gazebo in its poem, so that was like a funny instance of targeting. <laughs> that is funny. You know what? Now you know. Now the secret's out. Put your gazebos in there. Uh, and I wanted to, I just wanted to share two more pieces of advice that I don't necessarily follow, but I thought were pretty useful. One was Marvin Bell told me, every time a rejection comes in, send that same packet out the same day. Otherwise, you'll agonize over it and revise it, fuss with it. That does happen to me. I mean, I can over, I can overthink the submission. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of good advice. The other was Patty Ann Rogers. This was a few years ago. She said, only submit to paying journals. And now that's going to limit your market because there's not that many paying mm-hmm. journals. So for me, the idea of getting my poetry out there to more people and to connect with the audience, it's not exactly right advice for me, I think. But it's something to think about because especially when you're spending $100, $200 a year on submission fees, which a lot of us are, mm-hmm. and we don't have a lot of money because we're poets, uh, it's something to think about. Um, yeah, that's a, maybe that's a good segue to talk to, to more people because that's a... Um... An interesting decision about where to send things. Mm -hmm. To me, I think my priority would be if I did submit more often, it's just audience, you know, like mm-hmm. who has the most readers? Because the whole point, mm-hmm. like you said, to start with Genie is to build an audience. So I, you know, look at web traffic stats and, you know, how many people are following them on social media yeah. and how active they are in social mm-hmm. media. Right. I like that poems are online, too, because they're... Um, you know, they're permanent, more permanent than print, for sure, right. because of the nature of literary magazines. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that I would personally think about. But maybe we can talk more about, yeah. about who considers what important. Yeah, yeah. those are just interesting. I, you know, I, I find it interesting people give me advice. and I'm, I pass it on, but I'm like, I don't know if that's exactly the right advice for me, but it was interesting advice, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. then um, the other thing I think you asked about, um, keeping track of submissions. I keep track with an Excel spreadsheet. A lot of people do Google Docs these days. And um, if you, I have a personal pet peeve, which is, a journal says it's open in January, but it closes four minutes into January 1st. <laughs> yeah, that I, is frustrating. Yeah, I, will that... never, I will never, ever subscribe to a journal that does that. People should know the reason why is because you're submittable. I know, submittable. Yeah, your submittable what... um, program or right. um, package or whatever has a certain number of unpaid submissions. And so they <laughs> cap it at a certain thing. And then, you know, we had to pay a ton to get unlimited virtually unlimited. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. So that's the most important thing. But like, but like when Paris Review does it, you're like, Paris Review has the money. 
right? Yeah, that's and true. And it closed in three minutes. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it so, is. <laughs> happy, happy. All right, now I'm done. Now I'm done. Well, thank you so much, Janine. That was fascinating. I love all your stories as well. And I would love to next, let's talk to Bethany Jarmel, having taught workshops on this very subject. I'm sure that she has a lot to say. So how are you doing today, Bethany? And thanks so much for being part of the poetry space today. I'm doing great. And thank you so much for inviting me. I have so many thoughts. I'm not (laughs) sure where to start. (laughs) Um, Let me start with um, why we submit. Um, And I think that it comes back to our primary desire as poets to be read. And so we want to be read. um, And I think that that is part of the reason why we submit is we want people to read our work. Um, And I think there's something to be said about sending it out somewhere for someone else to read. And, um, you know, one way to be read, right, is to just share it on social media. And of course, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Um, But when we submit to literary magazines, um, where there's there's like a check you like to say you know is this poem ready um, is it ready to be scrutinized by someone who understands poetry well um, and I think in the sending that's when the poem finally gets finalized and kind of gets that last round of edits um, to say like yes this poem is ready to be sent out and so it's kind of like putting it in its you know in its Sunday best to make it look the best it can before you send it out. Um, so I think it's important to do, um, to have that practice of submitting. That's, um, that's a really great point, Bethany. And, you know, I share a lot of my poems on social media in part because, uh, you know, for many reasons that I have uh, to do largely with critiques of the publishing process, but I hadn't really thought about putting the poem in its Sunday best. And it is a true point when I then take a poem that I've already shared on social media and I'm going to submit it somewhere. I do try to gusty it up a little bit. So that's an excellent point. Yes. And um, I am one of those poets that, that I see the submissions as a numbers game. So I submit a high number of submissions. I generally use the same cover letter for all of them. Um, I will only usually, you know, change that if I know the editor personally, then I'll, you know, obviously want to make it personal. Um, And then I also send the same packet to a lot of places. Um, But, but it's not like I just blindly send that packet, right? I'm also going to tweak for places as well. So it's kind of a a process of both. Um, But I think when it comes to our strategies for submitting, it really depends on your goals. Um, and what, and also where the poet is in their um, journey. Um, and so I've actually identified six different strategies um, that I that I go through in my um, workshop, and I'd be happy to share those quickly. I, I know I don't want to take up all the time, um, but I, you know, there's six different strategies that I see depending on the goals of the poet and also where they are in their journey if they're just starting out versus if they've been writing for years and submitting for years. Um, So if it's okay, Katie, I'd love to just quickly go through those. Well, I'm glad you'd love to go through them because I'd love to hear them. So thank you. (laughs) Awesome. Um, Okay, so the first strategy um, I call the bottom up strategy. And this is great for newer poets or people who are new to submitting. Um, And with this one, you want to target the more friendlier magazines, the ones that are easier to get into first. Um, And the idea with this one is kind of like a snowball effect. So when you get that first acceptance, it's such like a high emotionally that you want to get the next one and the next one. And so by quickly getting those acceptances by some friendlier um, publications, then you can kind of like work on your craft. 
Um, and then as you feel stronger as a poet, um, to start to submit to some higher tier magazines. And so kind of work from the bottom and then go up from there. So that's the bottom up mm -hmm. strategy. Um, the next one is what I call top down or like prestige focused. So obviously this would be for people who really just want to get into the most prestigious literary magazines. They want to be, um, you know, read widely and, you know, get into the Paris Review. And, um, and so obviously with this one, you start at the top and as you get rejections, you work your way down. Um, another, the next one would be money focused. So there are definitely are poets out there who are only submitting to places that pay and they start with the ones that pay the most and then they work their way down. And I think that comes down to what your individual values are as a poet. So for me, that's not a value that I have of only submitting my work to places that pay, but I think that's a perfectly acceptable value to have. And that's something that we have to decide as poets, what, you know, what are our values and what are we looking for? Um, so that's, that's the first three. The fourth strategy is best fit. And these are usually poets who are looking for the perfect home for their work. So they don't necessarily care if it's the most prestigious or if it's the easiest to get into or if it pays the most, but just they want to find the perfect home that they think is the perfect fit for them. Um, and usually, that with this strategy, of course, you have to do a lot of research and you're going to spend a lot of time reading and researching and trying to find the perfect place. Um, but by doing that research, you're going to increase your chances of getting that acceptance and hopefully get fewer rejections in the process because you've done the research up front. Um, so then the fifth one is play favorites. Um, and this is basically just because as we go as poets and we submit, and we get accepted certain places and we read these journals, we just develop favorites. We develop uh, relationships with editors that we like or certain poetry journals that we really admire for whatever reason. Um, or perhaps, you know, certain poets just have a specific thing they're looking for, like a really well done website, or they really want it to be someone who's active on Twitter because they're active on Twitter. Um, so just playing the favorites, I think the downside of playing your favorites is you're not stretching yourself um, beyond your comfort zone and you're not taking those risks and therefore you're also not building your audience as much because if you're just if you're just getting published in the same five or ten you know literary magazines then you know you're only reaching that specific audience um, instead of reaching beyond that um, and then my the sixth one is what I call go with your gut and I think this is where most poets end up in the end and, and this is really just using a combination of those other five strategies depending on how you feel about the work so that's where i would put myself that i'm in the go with the gut go with your gut category and that is that i have certain packets of poems that i feel like this is a really strong packet i'm gonna send this to the top places and then i have another packet that i'm like you know what you know, this this journal that's published me in the past that I really like their editors and they nominated me for an award and I really they appreciate my work and I know that this is a strong fit for them. So I'm going to send it there. Or you know what? This other packet of poems that I have may not be my strongest work, but I still like it and I still want to see it published and out there. So then I might go for a more friendly, um, easier to get into, you know, publication. So I think that at the like obviously using the go with your gut strategy becomes easier and easier as you continue to 
to submit and continue to learn more about the literary landscape and all the different literary magazines. And you kind of find your place as a poet in there and you see who likes my work, where does my work fit? Um, and so yeah, th those are the six strategies. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really brilliant, such super useful breakdown. I wish too that I'd seen that when I first started submitting. It would have been so useful. My own strategy uh, when I was first, before I'd been published as a poet, was to look for what I thought mathematically were my best chances. So I fell upon rattle, as I also wanted, you know. I thought if I could, and the off chance I can just get right into a prestigious journal, this would really help my chances a lot. So it was the top-down approach, I believe, Bethany, that, that you listed in your six different types. And, you know, also a mathematical approach, because my, my decision was I was going to submit three poems every week to Rattle's Poet Response series until I got published. And I figured, like, you know, I did the math. Actually, it's kind of hilarious. I did the math of, like, if I was, like, slightly better than average when I could expect to be published. And then I didn't have to do the math anymore because the next day I got the acceptance. Well, what was the math, actually? That might be <laughs> useful now. Do you remember? I, I think it was, well, I don't know because I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. But, I mean, you know, I was planning on submitting. You know, I was trying to average. I was guessing because I couldn't ask you at the time, obviously, how many poems you were getting every week. And I thought maybe an average of, like, 250. And then also my plan was further that if I thought it was a slow news week, I was going to submit five <laughs> and I was going to focus on the weird French stories because I noticed that while, you know, you do you do a great job covering the traditional news stories. I thought there was more likelihood if I wrote on something weird, which is exactly what I did when I wrote a poem about the recession. <laughs> so you didn't have any economics poems floating yeah, around. Well, it's, it's always interesting as an editor when someone completely games you perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I gamed you. I game the system. Follow my system. <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly worked out for you, Katie. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's hard to argue with Bethany. That, that was really fascinating. It was, I was hoping, too, that now we could hear from others about their specific submission strategy. So Tom Barlow sent me his and what he looks for in journals. So this is sort of, I guess, Bethany, and going with your having a connection to journals and specific reasons for wanting to be in them and having higher criteria, which I guess it's fair to say is maybe slightly more of an advanced strategy, it's less likely. Is it fair to say, Bethany, that a poet just starting out that hasn't been published would take that kind of approach, like a personal connection to wanting to be in specific journals? Yeah, that's definitely, I would say, more intermediate to advanced. <laughs> right, yeah, and I guess along with those types too, it is, you know, my, where I fall within those types has definitely evolved and changed over the years. And I guess that that's what's so great about you having broken it down into those two is that it's really nice to be able to say, this is actually my approach. And then once you know your approach, you can be more, way more focused, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And to realize that it's not a one size fits all mm -hmm. and that it really should, you know, go with your goals. So whatever your goals are as a poet, then your strategy should should follow from that yeah definitely i agree so let's see so tom barlow he emailed me this great list of, of different qualities that he's looking for in journals and one of the ones that i liked is uh, a journal in which he feels like he has a shot because it is demoralizing sometimes to send to these you know i mean we all know it's a long shot as we send uh, particularly to places that solicit most if not all of the poems which is a massive integrity issue i have with places where i wish it could just be known if they solicit uh i i think it's unfair to accept submissions and then not actually go through the slush in a timely in a timely basis but anyway i'm on my tangent when everybody wants to hear from tom barlow so how are you doing today tom i'm doing fine katie great good to hear from 
Yeah, thanks so much for suggesting that we cover the poet's side since we only managed half of it in our initial in episode 47. So thank you. So I was, I was curious if you'd go into a little bit about what you look for in journals that you're considering submitting to. Well, I'd be happy to. You know, there's, I really think there's like three reasons that people people submit. They want, they're either looking for prestige, praise, or money. And of course, the last is laughable. <laughs> and uh, and I'm, I'm I'm more in the um, praise category. Um, so I'm looking to put my poem out in front of people, both both friends and try to recruit new readers. So the first question I have for myself is, do I want to go with a paper journal or do I want to do something online? And there's pluses and minuses to both, but I choose usually online. The paper journals have much more prestige. You know, they're the they're the New Yorkers, they're the Rattle magazines, they're the the Paris reviews. And if you're a grad student hoping to maybe take your career into teaching in college, you want prestige. You want you want to be able to put that on your your curriculum vitae. Me, I want to I want my best friends to be able to access my poetry. I don't want them to have to buy a journal to get one poem. Um, so I usually choose online, uh, but and then when I choose that journal, I, there's some criteria I use to break it down. I want I want my poem to be attractively portray, um, presented. You know, sometimes I'll put a piece of artwork with it. They'll choose the right font. They'll honor my line breaks, and um, I definitely don't send them to any magazines that ran advertising on the side of those. Yeah, I want a journal that um, that I'm not that has a name that I'm not afraid to tell my mother. And unfortunately, <laughs> there there are there are some out there that I well, I won't mention. Uh, I want them to be searchable on Duotrope and Chill Subs, so that I can draw as many readers as possible. I want them to have reasonable submission policies. Uh, I want them to allow Sim Subs, for example. I don't usually send to those who charge. Although occasionally I'll I'll like a journal so much, or I'll take pity on them so much that I'll throw three dollars their way. Um, I like that I, you know, Tim's um, and Rattle allows you to record your poem so that someone can listen to you read it, so it's read exactly the way you portrayed it. And I really like that. Um, and I like I like the um, journals, as you said, that have a shot forward, like not the New Yorker. I like them to be prompt, if possible, and not the New Yorker's two years, but more like one art's two hours. Um, I don't want them to send my sell my name to marketers. I don't want them to. Um, exp I don't want them to hound me with marketing afterwards. And uh, I like a journal that that gets involved in social media and tries to push the the, the poetry out to new markets. For example, um, One Art does some of that. Um, is, is active on on um, Twitter. I know Tim and Rattle is very active and proactive in trying to trying to spread the religion of poetry wide and wide and far. Yeah, um, but that's a really great list, and I agree too. You know, One Art is interesting also because I believe Mark Donowski's official stance is that you can submit simultaneously, but he prefers that they're not. And that's a great example, even even though I I submit very few places that have that don't allow simultaneous submissions because he does reply so quickly. I think that that is a, a different thing, and totally acceptable by my account. Right. 
Yeah. I certainly agree. And also, the other thing that your list makes me think about is just, you know, the concept of curation over publication. What we're looking for is something that curates our work thoughtfully. And I personally care about that way more than any monetary reward, though, of course, the whole goal is that, at least for me, that eventually poets really are making a living just being poets, because I think we deserve that as artists. But we're not quite there yet, I would say, on the whole. But I, I've stopped recently. I thought about there are some journals that, of course, I'm not going to name because that would be nasty and unnecessary, but that are prestigious journals, but their website is awful. And I've just realized, like, I don't want people to have to scroll all the way down to a thing where I can't even link directly to my poem. Like, it has to offer curation advantages over just me putting it on Twitter is kind of how I feel about that now. I do very much so. And um one thing I've, I've been curious about too is is honoring line breaks when everybody's reading po their poems on the phone. That's yeah. um, that's tricky. Yeah, that's a good thing to to think about because I you know with Rattle I have special code I have to do every single line <laughs> wrapped in a div tag that has hanging indents so they fit <laughs> on the phone nicely. And you know I know you know Poetry Foundation picked that up eventually, which was nice. Mm -hmm. And uh, but so a journal that does that is really nice too because so many people I think it's like half people who. You know, browse poetry on the internet or using their, their phones nowadays. And so poems fit differently on a phone than uh, on a page. And it's an important thing to keep track of. They do. And that, for me, even, I think, has changed the shape of the poems that I write in part with trying. I mean, it's really unusual I have long line poems because also I, I don't like thinking about somebody having to, like, lose their place in the line. But it's naturally suited to my voice. So I guess I'm lucky in that regard, too. But I think that's a really thoughtful list, Tom. Let me ask a question for anybody who maybe wants to answer. But what about, um, you know, one of Tom's things on his list was avoiding things that have unreasonable submission policies. What do you think about just ignoring submission policies when they're unreasonable? Is that something <laughs> um, that, that anybody would do? Maybe, I mean, Bethany, who, who you know, coaches in that, do, do you follow the guidelines no matter what? And, and you know, because I, I tell people sometimes, back when simultaneous submissions mm -hmm. was rare and people you know, wanted exclusive looks at poems. Mm -hmm. I used to tell people just ignore that <laughs> because I <laughs> yeah, thought it was ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And if there's rules that are sort of unethical or un... Can you just you know, ignore them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like a I, people's veto, so... I, I think I generally advise people to only submit to, like, the places that require uh, that you do not or that prevent you from simultaneously submitting to only submit to them if their turnaround time is really quick. Yeah, so I mean, that's where it makes there, sense. Like, denounce yeah, it one yeah. hour when it's just a few hours a lot of the yeah. time. I, that would definitely be rude to, <laughs> to, submit. to not do that. Yeah, it's, and it's frankly months, arrogant. <laughs> but to hold a poem that you're probably not going to publish for six months is just ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. Well, I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't submit to that. I mean, I think more of a gray area is, you know, uh, this issue of curation over publication and, and saying, like, if you've shared your poem anywhere. So that's where I look for gray areas, because I do like sharing my poem on social media. So for me, if it's at all ambiguous as to if if sharing on X counts as having I will submit, because also um, I could go on an entire rant, which I will not allow myself to do right now. But I absolutely hate the idea that sharing your poem in advance devalues it for a journal. It is discouraging people from sharing their poems. And I go so far as to say that it's, you know, it's, it's just 
really bad for poetry and I disagree with it on a moral mm-hmm. ground. So Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean that's the, which yeah. where I was going actually. So that's you, where you're going. And yeah. I had to run there before you because I feel like way too adamantly about that yeah, one thing. I mean if if they say, you know, you don't share on social media but you shared it but then you delete it before you But then you, you delete it. No comment. No comment, people. No right. comment. <laughs> so maybe maybe that's why my only ex- suggestion is rejected. Oh let's see. Janine Hall Gailey has her hand up on this subject. So let's hear from Janine again. Sorry, I've got to unmute there. Um, yeah, so I, I was thinking about that, too, because the Simpson rule, to me, I'm like, you cannot have that if you're going to hold the poem for six months to a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would only submit places that have that policy if they're fast and they pay. Because mm-hmm. that's just taking your poems out of circulation. I mean, I, I, like, for instance, I do submit to Three Penny. They're mm-hmm. very fast. And they pay a lot of money. I've never gotten in. But uh <laughs> but they, they have a non, I think they have a non-SimSubs policy, but uh, they respond so fast, it's not usually an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say, you know, we have simultaneous submissions. You know, we've always allowed that. And you know, occasionally we'll accept a poem and they'll say, oh, it was already published here. And, and I'm just like, well, congratulations. That's great. <laughs> you know? There's nothing really wrong with that. It's not like you're demerited or something by yeah. having to withdraw a poem. Well, further, I feel, I get to feel cool. That's like my smug, you know, the meme of Leonardo DiCaprio in, is it Django and change where he's like doing the like sinister little smile. I'm like, oh, I regret to pull my poem from you. (laughs) That's how I feel. I'm like at my absolute cockiest when I do that, which is absolutely ridiculous to admit. (laughs) Anyway, I think so. We haven't heard yet from Joe Barca, and Joe Barca shared some of his considerations for submitting to journals beforehand. And I really loved the last one which was, if some serendipitous event directs me towards a journal, I might randomly submit. And I like that, because that is the positivity and the randomness uh, injected into what we generally need to be pretty systematic about, I think. So how are you doing today, Joe? Doing great. Yeah, I thought I'd just share a couple of random thoughts and then the things that I look at when I decide to make a submission or consider. So first of all, just a few numbers. So in 2023, I was determined to get my work out there, and I submitted... 88 submissions and got 10 acceptances. So I was quite proud of that, but that also means I got 78 rejections. So that was a little disheartening. So this year I've actually vowed to basically split that in half. I'm gonna try to submit half as much and maybe get five accepted and just save some that I value a treasure for a future book. So just just how my approach is shifting over time, Katie. And it's, it's really interesting now that we've been, I've been fortunate enough to be your friend for a while now watching your own, you know, submission way of going about things shift. And then, of course, we'd be remiss if we did not mention the Reject 100 Facebook group. Yes, which, I was just going to mention that. Go, Katie. Yeah, which you it. made it so close to last year to mm-hmm. fulfilling the whole 100. How are you feeling about this year? Are you shooting for 100 rejections? No, I'm shooting to, for a lot less. I mean, I just I'm a little <laughs> tired of rejections, quite frankly, and I'm but I'm totally energized by writing brilliant poetry. So I'm just going to pull back. And if if my friends like the poems, maybe I'll just save, save them for a book, you know. So mm-hmm. I think we all go through phases. If people aren't familiar with Rejection 100. It's a Facebook group where tons of people just support each other in our rejections. And frankly, we celebrate them. And I've made some great friends there. And I think it's it's just the way you have to be. It's like I was in sales for many years. And if you can't deal with rejection, you probably shouldn't be in sales or poetry. So that's my thought there. Yeah. Maybe I'll go through my list. Katie, some of it is redundant, but I think it's worth worth please, going yeah, over. Please, yeah, please do. Um, so the so the first thing I want to do is, do I have a fair chance of having my poem accepted? Katie and Tim, you'll love this. I actually 
great do grades where I, I put journals in categories like single A, like baseball, single A, double A, triple A, and the big leagues. And so I I categorize them in those groups. And you know, eventually I hope to make it to the big leagues. But if I get to triple A, I'm pretty thrilled. So and I do just so people know, friends for years encouraged me to subscribe to Duotrope, which I think cost me five dollars a month and the best investment of my life as a poet. I, I refer to it all the time when I'm doing submissions. They have all sorts of great statistics. So I think that's been an invaluable tool for me. I'm, I, I don't submit anywhere almost unless it's simultaneous submissions just because of what everyone's discussed. Do they reply within three months? If not, it's got to be someplace pretty special because I don't really want to wait a year or two or three. I, too, was submitted to New Yorker back in 1983, Katie, and I hope <laughs> to hear very soon. <laughs> <laughs> also, do I get a positive vibe about the editor? I'll read the profiles of the editors and just see if I feel like my work would be a good fit. Do I like the website? Is it a piece of crap or is it really something that's sterling? Uh, do I think my poems, poems would fit well there? Some of my friends say, read their poems, read what they publish, and it might be a good indicator for you. Do they charge for submissions? I used to pay like a fair amount. Now I basically don't unless it's something exceptional. I mean, I don't mind not making poetry and money, but I'm not a big fan of losing a lot of money. So I don't really submit much if there's like a $3, $5 fee. Like with everything, there's exceptions. Also, have I received a positive rejection in the past from a journal? That might encourage me to submit some more in the future, although I've received a few of them. And then I got another positive rejection. So maybe they're just very positive with their rejection. <laughs> I'll keep you posted on that one too. Uh, has a friend suggested that the journal might be a good fit for me? Um, so this is part of my serendipitous approach in 2024. I'm just doing things a little more randomly, try to make it more fun for me and reduce the number of rejections and maybe celebrate the few and special acceptances that I get. So that's it, Katie and Tim and everybody. Well, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. It makes me think too of um, when I got a personalized rejection early on uh, from Frontier and I take any amount of encouragement way too seriously. So I did something that I would not have done today, to be honest. And I wrote back and I was like, oh, I'm so glad, you know, you like that one poem. Is there, you know, and, and I actually asked for advice, you know, on something they would do differently. And um, I forget who the editor was at the time, but they said that basically I was using too many asides and introductory phrases because basically I read every single Billy Collins book and attempted to put my voice into his, which is, which sure. is not a match. Um, but then I took that and I reworked my poems totally, you know, really dove deeply into the craft and then I submitted much better poems in like three days and then I got an acceptance you know as a result yeah. that probably if I hadn't gotten the rejection you know who knows if I would have just made it through through the slush that way so yeah. no absolutely and I think I can mention other journals if they're it's positive and so I think you know Katie I got a a, a customized rejection from only poems I think a number of us know and like that journal and the editor so I, that was a really quote unquote, encouraging rejection. It really motivated me to sort of keep pushing the limit. So sometimes, and I know, Katie, you spend a lot of time, maybe too much time on your <laughs> on customized rejections, but if it, if it inspires one poet to take it to the next level, sometimes it's a pretty special thing. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, I do spend too much time on it, but I also really love it. And I just, you know, when people are looking for encouragement too, even, even I send some rejections that aren't about the quality of the poem even, um, but 
but I just, I really want to encourage people and I want it to be a personal process on both sides. And that takes, I, I think on the poet side, you know, I think it's totally fine to take the numbers approach and there's so much validity in that. And frankly, I should be doing more of that kind of a thing. But at the same time, um, you're, you are a lot less likely to get a personalized rejection from that kind of submission, I think. Sure. Um, Absolutely. But one person who I have admittedly sent a personalized rejection to that we have not spoken to yet is Brian O'Sullivan, who I remember to my first month when I was um, serving, I guess is how I did the, the verb, as the prompt poem editor for Rattle, and I sent out the personalized rejection, and then Brian wrote me back and said it meant a lot to him that I had, and then I felt like, oh, I did something right, because the truth is I hate rejecting people, and it was really difficult for me. So anyway, that is a long intro for one of my favorite poets. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing even better after I heard that, and um, <laughs> yeah, you were an excellent rejector. Uh, <laughs> I've gotten more than one rejection from you, uh, but I enjoy them. They're they're you're, they're very supportive, and I appreciate them. Um, and I appreciate everything I'm hearing today. And there's so much that I agree with and and want to respond to, so that I'm glad I get to go last. Um, one of the things that I was thinking of, of is that of that list of six um, strategies, that great list that Bethany had. I think in the three years that I've been submitting, and I've only been submitting for three years, I think I've done all of those strategies at different points going back and forth between them, which probably means I really have no strategy at all. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I remember the first submission that I sent, I was more targeted than I usually am because I had this poem that was kind of about loss and about memory. And I was aspiring in a really modest way to, you know, in a futile way to do something like Elizabeth Bishop does in one art. So I had just heard about this journal of one art and I, I wrote to Mark and said it would mean so much to, to get this in, in your journal because I think it would give it a whole different level of meaning. And he seemed to really appreciate that. Aww. So that was like one of the only times that I sent, um, and he, he published it too. It was one of the only times that I sent a couple letter that was that sort of specific as to why I wanted to publish in that journal. And it makes me want to do that again on the rare occasions that I have a super specific reason. I'm always afraid that if I do it, just in a general way, it's going to seem insincere. You know, it might be a little bit. Um, yeah, I also I wanted to say about... Sorry, yeah. I just want to iterate. With the, with the insincerity, that's like the worst cover letter, by the way. I have to totally agree. Like when I get ones that are like... It's a little frustrating to me personally when I get one that's addressed to the wrong name, which happens. Like okay. don't, don't give the name if you're not sure who's reading it. Um, and just general like, oh, I'm such a fan of this. And it's like, well, why haven't I seen you ever on the Rattlecast before? <laughs> like ever. Yeah, that kind of thing actually is really transparent. Yeah. Me. I mean, because you see the people who submit and the people, yeah. I mean, the people who subscribe. And, you know, yeah. I mean, it's just like, yeah. you know, you're somebody who has interacted or not. And you yeah. can't fake it. <laughs> you can't pretend like you have. I know I'm paying attention, brah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, but Brian, one of the things we haven't really heard much about is how to respond yeah. to a rejection yet. And I think that's one of the things you're really great at with revision and in, in you know, taking Ooh. another look at the poems mm -hmm. later. So how do you, how do you go about that? Like, how do you take a rejection and, and make it a sort of a positive and rebound from that? I mean, it helps so much when there's a, a little bit of feedback. That's why critique of the week is so great. Um, Katie, I was really interested in hearing you say that Frontier actually answered when you asked for feedback like that, because I've never done that because so many people say not to. Yeah, but I might shouldn't. start trying now because <laughs> if once in a while you can get some feedback that way, that's a great thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I try to I try to think again about how that piece might not have been a good fit for wherever I sent it um, and what else there might be uh, about it that I could reconsider. But a lot of times I take some time before I do that. I kind of often try to cheer myself up by sending out another submission right after getting a rejection. It might be 
that I choose to submit other, other things, right? Not the things that I just uh, got rejected because I may want to revisit that. Um, um, you know, I think it's, I do that kind of rebound rejecting, like rebound submission. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of times when I do that, I, I so, so to speak, lower my sights and think that I'm submitting to a less uh, selective journal. Hmm. That doesn't usually work out that well for me. Like, I think I'm estimating, you know, my likelihood of getting, uh, getting selected and then I get rejected by less, uh, less prestigious places. So I think I, I'm going to try to be a little bit more conscious just of fit than of, um, you know, my likelihood of getting accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, if in an ideal world, fit would be my only criteria. Like how good of a fit is this poem for this journal in, in the real world? Like I don't care. I don't think too much about whether I'm going to get paid, but because I do have an academic job and I'd rather spend time writing poems than writing what I was kind of hired to do, which is academic articles. Um, it does matter to me that I have prestigious publications um, on my CV. So, you know, just realistically, that's a that's kind of a financial motivation in its own way, besides just being a prestige thing. Yeah, that's um, a great point, too. Um, so so Tom had a quick thing in the chat window. Some uh, someone might talk about where to find journals or where you can submit, you know, and so that's something we should talk about. Yeah, we definitely One of the things should. that I used to. Um, do and I've heard recommended and I still would do it or whatever is to look at the books I like and see where those poems are published in the back and the acknowledgements mm. you know mm-hmm. and so if it's a poet I like and I feel like they sound or I aspire to sound as right. <laughs> like them or whatever right. then you'd see where they're publishing and maybe that would be a good fit so and that's, then you that's find the... out it's rattle and you're stuck <laughs> in a gridlock <laughs> but that is that's like the old school advice that's the back old school advice the but now we have places uh, yeah. like Duotrope Chill Subs you know and places like that mm-hmm. you know, Chill Subs we should mention is a really nice alternative they're trying to be an alternative to both Duotrope and Submittable yeah. mm-hmm. and the, the, the ways that those have become for-profit businesses mm-hmm. um, and Chill Subs is more more of an indie vibe and sort of on the writer's side, yeah. which, you know, as, as the other two were taken over by corporate yeah. know, interests, they, they've been less on the less like that. I, I love how Chill Subs uh, lists the social media, you know, the Twitter followers and things like that, because that is a big I want a social media presence anywhere I'm submitting and they make it really easy to find that. Uh, one thing I would say with the general places is that I caution people from taking the very specific stats too seriously. I think, you know, there's there's such bias in who reports them and everything that unfortunately it's really hard, I think, to get accurate data with them. So they can give you an indication, I think, but they're rarely like, mm-hmm. you know, great. Well, that's the thing with, with Duotro. Once they went paid, it completely made the stats meaningless because it completely is a self-selection bias. bias Whereas if it was pay. free, a lot of people would, you know, enter their data. Yeah. So the data really doesn't, you know, it's, it's a very small subset of people who are, mm-hmm. you know, in the economic means to pay for that and, right. and taking it seriously like mm-hmm. that. So the stats are way skewed now once they yeah. became paid. I, I almost think too, it's a it's a rare situation where you can almost learn more from anecdotal cases, like in the Reject 100 group that Joe Barker was talking about earlier. It can be helpful when someone said, hey, I just got a Paris Review rejection uh, that I submitted, you know, seven months ago. And you can look and say, I submitted eight months ago. Maybe that's starting to mean something. Or, you know, obviously there are a million ways to get in your own head about what's going on on the other side with your submission, even though the answer is usually not much. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's a black box. It's, you know, you have no idea what's going on inside. And and that really sets you up for a lot of sort of psychological turmoil, Mm -hmm. even. Like, there's all these things, like all these ways you can think about, well, it must be this reason or this reason or this reason mm-hmm. um that's sort of beyond my control yeah and uh it's a frustrating thing and it's good to i guess keep it just a positive attitude about that and not yeah. think the worst you know right right 
Yeah, definitely. Let's see. I don't know who put their hand up first. You I think know. Janine. Janine did. Okay, Janine, sorry. What would you like to Maybe. say? I just wanted to say a couple of things. There are newsletters. I know Two Sylvia's Press does one. Erica Dreyfus does one, the practicing writer. They both have newsletters you can sign up for that list great, um, like, recent opportunities that you probably wouldn't hear of otherwise. The other thing is I'm going to – who said the thing about doing stuff, like, with a spontaneous air – that's a great thing for five minutes on Twitter, look for calls for submission, five minutes on Instagram, look for calls for submission. Sometimes you, you know, the right poem for the right place ends up that way. So five minutes on that social media, looking for calls for submission is a great uh, thing. And asking your friend, of course, the submission party again, a great place to get ideas. Yeah, so. I don't need an excuse to have another party. So I'm all about that. That is <laughs> such a great idea. I love it. <laughs> oh, let's see. Uh, Joe Barca. The author of this serendipitous <laughs> decision to submit. What would you like? Maybe to say? that'll be my claim to fame. But I, you know, I know du- duotrope is fault, faulty or flawed. But still, I found a lot of helpful information there. I do want mm-hmm. to mention, like, if you're submitting somewhere, they'll say people have submitted to these other twenty journals, or they've been accepted at these other twenty journals. So you can sort of get grouping. So, and I agree with Tim, they're flawed statistically, but sometimes flawed statistics are better than none at all. At least it points yeah. you in a direction or gives you an idea what to do. So anyway, I just wanted to mention the fact that you can see other similar journals that people submitted to or where they were accepted. That's kind of like on Netflix after the movie finishes and they try to push you into the next one. <laughs> That's a good point. Mm-hmm. And it is true. I mean, it is a good indication. I just feel, I when I look at those, I'm concerned that people are taking them verbatim, which of course, Joe, you're not. But if anybody out there is, just keep in mind the bias that goes into those. Absolutely, yeah. Definitely. I think Tom has his hand up now. No, it's because um, I know Katie has uh, um, a pointed out that this isn't always always accurate but there's a wiki called the rejection wiki mm-hmm. which is fascinating because they list they uh, they list the rejections that people get and if they're tiered rejections mm-hmm. you can sometimes find out whether you're getting the uh the brush off or they well try again or that you're all really close type of rejections so those are fun yeah that's a good point and also my time to come clean and say that I am so like, I want to believe every rejection is personalized because I see the good <laughs> too much. So the other day I tweeted what turned out to be a totally standard rejection from American Poetry Review. But guess what? Already resubmitted. So I look forward to the next rejection. Well, <laughs> um, all right. Well, I think that too. So we had a couple of questions that were submitted in advance of the topic. And I want to go ahead now to encourage listeners in the future to please share your questions in advance. I, I know that, you know, with the new format, there's not the ability to ask questions right in the moment live. But I think that everybody coming up with their questions in advance leads to the ability to have better questions and better answers. So hopefully somebody, one of our lovely panelists has a great answer to these questions. So we're going to go ahead first and whoever uh, wants to put their hand up and answer that it's totally great. So this is Clayton Clark asked, I'm just going to read it, even though it says my name, which is slightly awkward, but I'll just say, <laughs> Hi, Katie. With the exception of Rattle, I wonder how many journals actually do blind readings. As a latecomer to poetry, I rarely, if ever, submit. Rather do so when asked, because I'm just happy writing and sharing. But have heard blind often has one eye open. Uh, just curious. <laughs> I don't know. Tim, you might be the most qualified <laughs> to answer this well, one. I think, I think it's pretty rare. You know, for I already mentioned for Rattle, it's sort mm-hmm. of we read the poems blind, mm-hmm. um, um, and then sometimes 
you know, open one eye to see. Not for know, the contest, though. No, yeah. yeah. So, so that's what I'm getting to. So for the for both the contests, um, they're completely anonymized, and mm-hmm. it's really hard to actually do. It takes a lot of work. It yeah, I've like, seen it. It's a lot of numbers. And yeah, yeah. Like everybody gets a number, and you have to like delete because so many people, even though you say you don't want to see it in their file, yeah, they include I their name and that. address. Even and with so, me, where it doesn't matter. So every day, everybody included that. You take off the. Um, you know, you take off the address and then print it out that way and throw it to the bottom of the pile so you don't remember which one it is. It's like it's actually really hard to, to yeah, keep blind. Anonymized, yeah. You know, you can do there's ways through submittable. You can um, make it so certain editors can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, but still people throw their stuff in the in the documents and it's really annoying too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I find it, you know, I, it's probably pretty rare. I, I bet that, you know, and so for rattle, like we, you know, read everything before we um, make a decision. And if we're on the fence, I look at the cover note mm-hmm. um, and then if that's interesting that can lead one way and then mm-hmm. if I'm still starting to decide between two poems I look at the name and see yeah. if we've published them before and give the throw it to the person who yeah. seems like they'd appreciate it more well I should probably clarify too that I'm in the unique <clears throat> position where as prompt series editor I don't read blind and in lar- a large part that is because we want to encourage people to share their poems on the prompt lines of the Rattlecast and so um, if I somehow was committed to only seeing blind uh, being blind then I couldn't you know participate in that which would mm-hmm. stink so I just I'm as yeah. a as possible and the reality is I'm um, I like to be friends with everybody and I just pick the best poem you know whatever yeah. the best poem is and, and I do know that the feeling too I mean um everybody there's this way that you move up the rankings of publication based mm-hmm. on where you've been published we already mentioned this the right. top down and the bottom up yeah. approach mm-hmm. and the way the, the fact that that works just shows how much non-blindness is yeah going it is true you know i mean it, it wouldn't matter whatsoever where you've been published before if mm-hmm. um if you know nobody looked at it but they do yeah. obviously i should also say too when i was first submitting i had a theory that it was probably more blind for contest and so before i had any any poetry publication credits i decided to submit to contest because I thought that they were probably more blind than like me trying to get somewhere. And I, I mean, at first I was like, I was ashamed of not having any poetry publishing credits to put in my bio. And I would like to say too, one thing, Tim, that I learned from you is that like, lead with that. Say I've never been published and I've been working on my poetry. I mean, I would love to read mm-hmm. that cover letter. You know, yeah, talk about yeah. authenticity. It's true. I mean, that when, when we, you know, we do unmask people, um, it's to see that. And I love seeing, I, you yeah. know, you love the opportunity to be the first person who's, you know, published something. That's really fun, especially, yeah. you know, because it means more to them. Mm-hmm. You're spreading more joy in the world and you get to, you know, be the first one that someone published, you know, the, someone published like T.S. Eliot first or whatever. Yeah. You know, and uh, this is very funny having this conversation because you you published me, you beat me out. And then Frontier was like a week later. Oh, fun. really? Yeah, it was, a, it was a fun week. And I, I knew at the time I was like, this is not going to happen every week. And I was even more right than I was aware. <laughs> so we have one more question. Let's get to that first. You want to read it, Tim? Sure. So Sankita Kalarikal asks, uh, love the topics you cover. Two quick questions. How important is a cover letter? And do editors expect a line or two about context with a poem? I never give the context to my poem, but I wanted to know if editors like it. So, um, so I guess should I answer that from my perspective too? Sure, this is more yeah. of an editor question. Yeah, that is episode. true. It is. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I think my advice would be to keep the letter short. You don't want to like go on yeah. because then it's like you know TLDR. Work. It's work to read yeah. at that point if it's yeah. a few paragraphs. But yeah. but if it's a uh, you know short notes on things, um, mm-hmm. you know two little paragraphs that are short. Mm-hmm. I think that they can only add you know personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and any kind of clarification about the poems are about if it might be obscure. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's a good idea. They can't really hurt, and mm-hmm. it, it might, it, you know, m- probably doesn't always help, but sometimes it might. Mm-hmm. So you might as well do a little bit like that. Yeah, I'd um, say. Uh, Bethany mm-hmm. has a comment about that, though. Yeah, great. 
Um, yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of editors say that they do not want the poem to be explained mm-hmm. in the cover letter, that basically the poem should speak for itself. So I, I think in general, I would advise people not to give that unless, you know, unless there's a strong reason to mm-hmm. do so. Um, but in general, we don't want to like explain the poem. We want the poem to speak for itself. Yeah, that's a good point. I wouldn't say like, you know, this poem, you know, go into any detail about it. Yeah. But I think thinking about from terms of a marketing perspective, like your blur, your book has a blurb on the back. Yeah. That'll say what the book's kind of about. And I think that might give an access point a little more engagement, you know, even if it's not, you know, conscious, even if they might say that I might not want it, I mm-hmm. think it still might be beneficial actually. Yeah, well, for me personally, I mean, I realize the the submissions I'm reading are very specific to people writing prompts, you know, that Tim and I come up with. And I really, my favorite cover note is one that if it includes that context, it says something a little bit like, oh, the prompt made me think back to my art history class when I met my husband or some some, some cute thing like that, that like it, you don't need for the poem, but makes me feel emotionally engaged. And then also it makes me feel good in that I encourage somebody to explore that part of their life. So I, it makes me feel like a nice connection, which, you know, either the poem is the best poem or not. But, you know, I'm more likely to send a personalized rejection to somebody who treats me like a person, you know. Yeah, like, that's a good way to put it. Maybe yeah. that's that's. Yeah, better way to say it. Yeah. Well, we are over the hour mark, and I have learned so much. Thanks to Janine Hall Gailey, I'm going to have to figure out how to have these parties, and everybody who kindly joined us today would be my first invites to said party, because I've greatly enjoyed uh, looking at everything and learning today about how to submit, and I am going to go ahead and read the closing poem, which, Tim, I think I think that the the relevance to today's space is a little bit more obvious than with the Mark Doty one I had you read at the beginning. <laughs> This is by Vicki Hearn, and it's The Archer. The sudden thunk of landing, the arrow made in the mark, of the center lifted and loosened his skin. And so he stood, hearing it like many thrusting breasts driven to the ground. He abandoned the long light, flight of arrows, and the slow parabola's bow's dream of for the swifter song beyond flesh. Song of moments, the earth turned its molten balance. He stood, hearing it again, the precise shudder the arrow sought and returned to, flaming. So I hope that today's The Poetry Space results in many flaming arrows making contact with exactly the journal that best suits their poems. And I really want to thank everyone for joining us. Janine Hall-Gailey, Bethany Jarmel, Joe Barca, Tom Barlow, Brian O'Sullivan. It was really wonderful. I learned so much. Thank you so much. Wait, 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 Katie, before we go, what's next week's episode? Oh, are you trying to pretend like we're not re-recording this little part because we forgot because we need to revise the ending, which we can do now given the new format? Oh, very nice. Good segue there. (laughs) It's almost like this was intentional. Almost, but it was not. (laughs) But not quite. (laughs) Next week, we are going to be talking about for episode 54, revision and editing, which I think is going to make for a cool exploration of the topic. I know, Tim, you're not super into the idea of revising poems. No, I don't really do that. No. All right. (laughs) I like revising, and I would say I like editing as much as I like writing the poem itself, which is kind of weird. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to that next week on the old poetry space. Great. Thanks.